Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about atmosphere. We have been for a number of weeks now. Atmosphere is the pervading presence that surrounds every one of us. It's our mood. It's the environment that we build. An atmosphere is not made by a mood. A mood is a reflection, the outworking of the things that actually make the atmosphere in our lives, the environment, the moods we have, which are values, convictions, and principles. Your values, your principles, and your convictions become the steering rod, the the main uh, uh, discipline of your life that causes your moods or controls your moods or lets the mood go would be your values, your convictions, your principles. Your moods are a reflection of that. Your attitudes are a reflection of that. So your atmosphere, the atmosphere around your life, your home, your business, our church, our city, and our nation is made up of values, principles, come out in behaviors and attitudes and moods. So today you came to this particular Sunday service with a mood. You have a certain environment around your life. That environment can be an environment of great expectation and environment of faith and environment of joy, satisfaction about life, or it could be an environment or a mood or an atmosphere of a little discouragement or things are not going the way you thought. Some things are broken down. Uh, Some things are actually going against you. And so your mood changes because life has so many curveballs. You have to come above the emotion of life and live by the principles of life to establish an atmosphere that you can actually live with and pass on to other people. An atmosphere is very, very important. Every church has an atmosphere, so we're talking about that atmosphere. Here at City Bible Church, all the campuses, all the services, we're talking about establishing an atmosphere. Now, the atmosphere that I'm talking about is layered with at least four major things. There are many other things I could put into it, but there are four major things that layer our atmosphere. Prayer, praise, presence, Power. Prayer is foundation to everything because prayer is the heart. Prayer is relationship. Prayer is what really connects us to heaven, the eternal, the invisible. Not just in the sanctuaries, but seven days a week, every devotional time. Your prayer time establishes your heart attitude. If you pull the weeds out of your heart, you'll do it at prayer time in your own devotions. When you read the word, when you stop and talk with Jesus, whether it's in the car, in the shower, whether it's in your prayer room or on a jog or a walk or wherever you might do it, where you do business with Jesus, you pray, you pull the weeds out of your heart, unforgiveness and bitterness and hard-heartedness and gossip in the tongue and whatever might be going on in your life, you cleanse yourself, you talk with Jesus, you establish a prayer atmosphere over your life. Praise is also something that should begin in your personal prayer closet. Praise is not a corporate expression only, although we nurture it and encourage it and do it obviously at all City Bible Church services. Praise itself should begin in your own personal devotional life where you actually lift up your spirit to the Lord Jesus and you learn how to sing a song or you learn how to praise audibly. You learn how to lift up your whole being unto God and you learn to worship the Lord, whether you put on a cassette, which I do most of the time, a DVD or CD or something. I 
I, I just like to uh, be around worship music. When I drive, I'm listening to worship music. I, I do like the news. I'll listen to the news sometime during the day, uh, usually at nighttime. But uh, in the car, especially if I'm by myself, I can crank it up and I can just worship. I can sing on key, off key, in between keys. The Holy Spirit is happy with me no matter what. And so I can just crank it up and I can worship and I can speak in my spiritual language. I can intercede. I can have a whole revival service between my office and my house, which is about a 20-minute drive. Why? Because praise is a personal thing. It's not a corporate thing only. It's a personal thing. It's an atmosphere of my spirit. You know, I practice praise as an individual, as a conviction, because I really believe that God responds to my praise. And so if I feel a little down, a little discouraged, a little heavy, a little uh, hard-hearted, or, or twisted around some circumstance, or irritated with something that's going on, or feel just the load of everything, it's really, really easy for me to take all that stuff and just move it right into my praise time and hand it over to God and just remember how big God is, how good God is, how God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I asked or even can imagine to come to pass, how God is faithful and true to all of his promises, how the word of God will always come to pass, and I am serving a real and living God. It's not up to me. It's not on me. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Therefore, I got to give it up. Come on, everyone say, give it up. Give it up. Well, worship helps you to give it up. Can I hear an amen? Amen. All right, spread your hands out. Come on, right now. Everybody, all over, spread your hands out. I want you right now to give over everything you brought into these rooms that should not be in these rooms. you got to give it over. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You should have done that during the worship service, but we can do it right now. And here we go. Father God, we give everything over to you. All of the decisions I don't know about right now, all the pressures I can't deal with and they're bothering me, all the financial stuff that's on my mind, all the relational breakdowns that bother me right now, some of the stuff that I would like to change I don't know what to do with. Well, just right now, I, everyone say, I give it over. I, I give it over. All right, hands down. Worship is an exchange. You give over. The things in you so that Christ can give you the things that he has for you. Praise. Very important. Presence. The presence of God drives everything. Presence of God is real. Whether it's the all presence of God that encompasses the whole earth. That everyone's Psalms 139 under that presence somewhere this morning. You can never escape from the presence of God. That's the omnipresence is everywhere, but there's also the manifest presence, like in the tabernacles and the temples and New Testament when the heavens were open and Jesus walked and that presence dropped right down and people could feel God moving in that particular temple or that hillside or wherever. The presence of God can manifest anywhere. Then there's that felt, realized, personal presence that you get in your prayer time, your worship time, your, your time of intercession where the presence of God just begins to fill your heart and your life and you can feel it and you just want to, maybe you want to shout, you want to sing, you want to cry, you want to meditate, but you feel something eternal all over you. That felt, realized, manifested presence of God is so very important to our spirit man, not to our flesh, but to our spirit man. That spirit man needs the presence of God. That spirit man in you that can change from glory to glory and be filled with new virtue needs the presence of God. 
And the longer you stay away from the presence, the more your flesh gets stronger, your carnal man gets stronger, your carnal mind gets stronger, and your spirit gets weaker. And the weaker your spirit gets, the more you serve your flesh and you serve your mind, you serve your carnal passions and impulses, and you go the wrong way. Your spirit man needs to be filled with the presence of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. All right, now, power. Everyone say power. How many of you believe you have the power of God in you right now? How many of you believe you could use a little bit more of that power? How many of you have released, don't raise your hand, how many of you have released the felt, realized power of God into someone else's life that you can put your finger on and say, they were touched by the power of God that came through my prayer in my life, however it came through. And I was able to touch their life because the power of God flows through me. The power of God is a very real essence in Christianity, although the American church does not deal with it very much because we have so many other things we deal with like buildings and choirs and budgets and buses and advertising and marketing and and parking and children's ministry. We try to build all these things to make sure people will be touched by God. But really the bottom line is not the buildings or the buses or the great seating or the lack of seating or the great town or the lack of town or the great lighting or the lack of lighting. Really what people needed to be touched by, the power of a living God. And if they're touched by the power of the living God, all the other stuff kind of drops along the wayside. They don't really care about it, but they need to be touched by the power of God. Every church needs to have access to the power of God. It needs to flow through the members. It needs to flow through all the believers. It needs to have a a, a certain uh, impacting feel to it that you understand the power of God can be accessed in the service, the prayer meetings, or in the small groups, wherever you are, the power of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Don't answer it just in your own mind, all right? You and I both know where the power of God comes from. Power of God. Obviously, he's the source. When God comes to church, now think about this. God attends church. So does Jesus. So does the Holy Spirit. They are actually church attenders. It says in the book of Hebrews, Jesus worships in the midst of the brothers. Right through the whole Bible, we find God coming into the temple, coming into the tabernacles, coming into the gatherings, even in the book of Acts. So think about it. God comes to church. Question, what atmosphere does God feel at home in the most? What atmosphere draws God in and says, attend here, come here, make yourself available here, because this is a great atmosphere for you, God. What atmosphere draws God in and what atmosphere pushes God out? What atmosphere does God come to? And this is biblical. And God says, I won't go there. I won't be involved there. I will not show up there. I don't even like the atmosphere. I won't be there. Matter of fact, not only will I not show up, the demons of hell and all the power of hell is drawn into that atmosphere. Because that's not my atmosphere. What atmosphere? Pushes God out. Brings God in. There are seven.
several that I could go off on biblically. Obviously, there's more than one, but there's one main one that's consistent from Genesis to Revelation. God dwells where there's unity. And God is repelled, repulsed, and removes himself where there's division. Hell grows in division. Carnality. Demonic activity. All kinds of works of the flesh. Galatians goes off on it. In the presence of discord, division, disloyalty, disconnect, all the disses, all the things that tear people apart. What is it in a marriage that tears the marriage down? Division. Whether it starts with a small, I don't like the way you do the finance, honey, to I don't like the way you discipline the children, to I don't like the vacation you chose, to I don't like the house we're living in, to and you start having division with your wife. And before you know it, you're on two different places. You can't agree on what to eat, where to go, what to wear, what to say, who to fellowship with. All of a sudden, there's division in the marriage. And when there's division in the marriage, 1 Peter 3 says, your prayers are hindered. That's an amazing scripture. I thought prayer was just me and God. But Peter changes my mind by saying, if you have a problem with your home and a division with your wife, your prayers are hindered. I don't care how good of an intercessor you might be. Individually, you can be in great flow with God. But if you are at odds with your spouse... Your prayer life is being hindered. Why? Because God does not respond to division. God does not speak in division. God does not grow in division. God does not bless the atmosphere of division. So what does the enemy do? Enemy comes along and says, all right, this is what we're going to do. Demons of hell, everybody on. Let's go. We're going to mess up everyone thinking about being connected and being loyal. We're going to mess up. Every church we can with all kinds of gossip and murmuring and backbiting and everything we can to get politics going and and get people to be layered with all kinds of distrust and mistrust and, and no joy in going. And I don't like this family. I won't sit next to them. And I'm not putting my kid in the nursery. And I don't like that worship leader. And why do they have a woman elder? And why is that guy preaching? And what happened to the pastor over here? And why do they do? And division starts coming over their mind. And before you know it, we start moving out more and more away from each other until we are finally so disconnected that there's no way for us to encourage one another, lift up one another, flow together, have real uh, impact on the kingdom of hell by resisting hell because we ourselves are living in an atmosphere of hell. Are you there? How many here, on all the campuses, how many of you have ever been affected By division. How many have ever felt that nasty, horrible, gut-wrenching feeling of losing a relationship? How many have ever walked away from a situation where you said to yourself, I should have shut my big fat mouth and said nothing about that person? Come on, is that right? I should have shut my big mouth. But you just let it all out. I don't care if it's on your job, in your home, or in your church. Division is never blessed. 
ever. Not in your office. Not in your backyard. It's never blessed. So the enemy comes in to push us to say things we should never say. Break away from people we should never break away from. Dissolve relationships that should have never been dissolved. Cause problems in our spirit that really we don't even have to carry it. But we do. Because we don't understand the power, the destructive power of division. And we're not really maybe mature enough, wise enough, or in it enough to understand how powerful unity is. To guard it, fight for it, and stand for it with everything that's in you. The atmosphere. I'm talking about a powerful atmosphere. Unity. Let's define a couple words. Write down a couple scriptures right now. The power of unity, at least these things happen. The atmosphere for answered prayers. Unity has an atmosphere where prayer is enhanced, prayer is empowered, prayer is answered. An atmosphere for miracles. There's more faith, more release, more Jesus. An atmosphere for vision achievement. More energy is put forth toward the right thing instead of the wrong thing. And so you have an atmosphere for vision achievement where people can all work together. Come on, everyone shout together. Come on, one more time together. Vision can never happen if you're not together. How great it is when a husband and wife work together. How great it is when the business team works together. How great it is when the sales and the marketing and the budgeting and everybody involved in the business are all in unity and encouraging one another, not cutting the legs off of someone, not trying to show someone else up, not trying to make some other department look bad. They're working. Come on, say it. Together. Vision happens. More money is made. More accomplishments. In the secular, in the spiritual, in any realm. Vision Achievement. There's an atmosphere for victory. When there's unity and there's harmony and all the words we're looking at, God brings victory into our lives. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 and 20. If you have your Bibles, turn there and mark this wonderful, famous scripture. Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20. I'm going to read from the Amplified. Again, I tell you, if two, turn to your neighbor and say, only takes two. The lowest common denominator for unity. Jesus goes to the lowest common denominator. Two. Two of you on earth agree. Harmonize together. Make a symphony together. That's truly the Greek word there. Agree is symphoneo. Symphony. About whatever, anything and everything they may ask, it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three are gathered together, drawn together as my followers in or into my name, there I am in the midst. What is the atmosphere of unity? It would look something like this. Matthew 18 says it. Here's another way of looking at it. The atmosphere of unity is harmony. Working together. One heart. These are Bible words and Bible verses. One heart. One vision, 
One mission, one spirit, living in one accord. Now that's a Bible definition of the way church should be. The way the congregation should be joined together, working together, harmonizing, flowing, is that right there. Harmony. Working together. If the piano was on, which it's probably not, I would play it for you, which I probably can't. But I do know a few chords, believe it or not. I actually took piano lessons until the piano teacher asked me to stop. Here you go. <laughs> Harmony. It's, it's just my whole being is lifted with this kind of piano playing. Because <laughs> it's harmonious. The chords are meant to be played together. But when you... Even that sounds pretty good. key or not in harmony, your whole being kind of goes, oh, oh, it's not meant to sound that way. When someone sings off, oh, you don't go, oh, do it again. (laughs) It's just your whole being is not meant to be blessed by what is not harmonious. The melody, the whole universe runs in a rhythm. Or else it would collide and be destroyed in in an instant. God put harmony in us so that we can respond to it. That's why when relationships are harmonious... Boy, everything just feels good. But when they start going sideways, everything in you goes sideways. It's not just one emotion. There's a bunch of emotions that go. You have that feeling. You have that thought. You have, well, it just feels so horrible not to have things connected. How many have ever had somebody that was really, really upset at you? How many of you have ever been really, really upset at someone else? At least once in your life. It just leaves you with that bad feeling. Not right. Harmony. One heart, one soul, one vision, one mission, one spirit. Living in one accord. The atmosphere of harmony looks like this. To agree together. To harmonize. Just another way of saying it. Cooperate. That's a great word. Cooperate. Bind together in agreement. That's a great thing. To fit or adapt a connected whole. So everyone has this attitude, atmosphere of I'll adapt, I'll fit, I'll help, I'll work, I'll flow, 
I'll be involved. Even if it doesn't suit me all the time, even if it's not the way I would do it, I'll still work with you and we'll make it happen. Why? Because we are one body. We are fitly joined together. Every joint supplies. And brother and sister, I'm going to supply my joint because I want to flow in harmony. What a great attitude. An atmosphere of being together. These are all scriptures. I just took out the middle piece of most of them. An atmosphere of together means, you'll find this, a lot of them in Ephesians. We gather together, we suffer together, we sing together, join together, worship together, stand together, pray together. Wow, there's just a lot of together scriptures. Agree together, plan together, labor together, frame together, quicken together, 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 together. God is a together God. God is a God who brings things together. He brings people together. He subdues our old nature so that we can be together. He does something in us so that we can work together. He does something with our mouth so that when we speak about each other, we speak well about each other because we're working together as one body, one heart, one soul, one mind, one mission, one spirit, one, 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 one. You know, the uh, cartoon with Peanuts cartoon with Lucy and Linus. Sometimes there's some great theology with Lucy and Linus. <laughs> Lucy comes into the room. And she says to Linus, turn the channel. He says, why do I have to turn the channel? I was here first and I have the TV and I'm not turning the channel. She put her fist together. She said, turn the channel. She says, this fist will make you turn the channel. She says, when this fist, when you look at it, there are five horrible things about this fist. The five fingers. Individually, these fingers can do nothing. But when I make them a fist, they are a horrible power to behold. (laughs) Turn the channel. So Linus went and turned the channel. As he's walking away, he looks at his fist and he says, why can't you guys get it together like that? What's, what's your problem? She's got a powerful weapon. Why don't you all just look at your fist? Say to your fist, why don't you get it together? All right. of unity scriptures. I'm not going to read them. You won't have time to take them down, but I just want you to see them on the screen. All of these scriptures use the word one unity agreement, one accord, and they're all powerful to read. John 17, as you know, Jesus, one of the great prayers of Jesus, he says, I want them to be one. Father, like you and I are one, I want them to be one. Why? So that the world will behold their unity and the world will respect you. You know what? Unity is evangelistic. Discord loses the respect of the unbeliever. Every time a church splits, every time church people fight and bickle and battle and carry on, every time an unbeliever hears about 
You talking about your church or your pastor or your other brother or suing one another or taking each other to the court or whatever you might do to a brother or sister, the world says, I don't respect that and I never want to be involved with that. It's amazing. That's what Jesus says. When they're one, the world respects the Father. Wow. What a goal. Acts 2, verse 46, in one accord. Acts 4, 24, in one accord. Acts 4, 32, one heart, one soul. They were all together. Acts 5, 12, they were in one accord. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, endeavoring to keep the unity of the faith. Psalms 133 talked about that anointing that comes with the unity. Ephesians 4, 16, from whom the whole body joined, held together. Every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. As each part does its work. Romans 12. So we are many, but we are one body. Each member belongs to all the others. The body is a unit. 1 Corinthians 12. It is made up of many parts. And though all of its many parts function, they form one body. So it is with Christ. It is there. There are many parts, but one body. Okay, we are many But we're one. And in our many, we can be like Linus looking at the hand saying, why can't you get it together and become a powerful weapon like Lucy has? We can stay individual and fragment it and do our own thing. Stay on the fringes or we can pull into the body. Be connected. Be a servant. Learn how to forgive. Learn how to endeavor. Learn how to bear one another's burdens. Learn how to put up with each other without making a big deal about it. Learn how to flow together. Unity. Four points you need to have. One, unity is the power to overcome. The insurmountable and reach the unachievable. You'll never, I won't, you won't, we won't reach the insurmountable and the unachievable without the power of unity. The book of Nehemiah is built on this whole principle. They would have never built a city, built the walls, resisted the enemy. It took one man to stand up and say, hey, just a minute, people, 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 listen to me. He says, we got a broken down wall, a broken down city and no future. Do you guys understand that? They said, well, yeah, we do. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to work together. I want everyone on the wall. And when you come to the wall, I don't care if you're a person that carries the mortar or you actually put the brick in or you're over there chiseling out the brick. I want everyone to wear a weapon. No longer is there a builder and a warrior. Everyone will be a builder and everyone will be a warrior. I want you to work with your sword on. Wow, that's a... I never work with my sword on. It's just kind of hard to work with your sword on. Well, you'd rather be a little hard working with your sword on than dead. Learn how to work with your sword on. Okay. And we're spread out. Everyone say spread out. He says we're spread out on the wall. We don't even know what each other's doing. And when the enemy comes, we don't even know what to do. The enemy is mocking us. And this is what I'm going to do. Now, listen to me. We're all going to work in shifts. There will be no baths, no showers, no changing of clothes. You will work until we finish. And you will always be ready to fight. Well, this was a whole wake-up call for this people. 
He says, when I blow the trumpet, I want everyone to put down their buckets and put down their bricks. I want you to draw your sword and I want you to face the enemy. You got it? Okay. And sure enough, when the enemy started coming, they blew the trumpet. Everyone pulled their swords. And the enemy said, whoa, what is with this? How did those people get this together so fast? Even a little fox, a little dog running through their wall would knock the wall down. But these people are building and if we don't get to them, they will finish the work. What happened? Just one thing. They decided to work together. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to work with you. Don't you have a neighbor? You don't have a friend? Somebody talk to this boy here. He's by himself. I'm waiting. Thank you. Thank you. They... Come on, everyone shout together. Number two. Unity is the power to make the impossible possible and turn dreams to reality. In your life, in your home, in your business, in your future, if you learn to work together with people, you'll be successful. If you learn to be an isolated, bickering, irritated, grumpy old man or old woman, you will not be successful. Even your grandkids will say, can we go home, mom? On the way home, they'll say, why is grandpa so irritated all the time? He talked about Republicans and Democrats, both. You don't want to be that way. You want to be a person that builds an attitude that we can accomplish dreams because we work together. Number three, unity is the power to cause an increase in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Psalms 133. How sweet. And pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. For it is like the oil that is poured down upon the head of Aaron that rolled down all the way down his beard, down his garments, to the very tip of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon. Even when there's no rain, dew will bring fruitfulness. Even when there's no rain. So here he says, unity is like the precious oil run down over the whole body. Unity is like that refreshment in a drought or a time where you can't find another answer. It's God bringing it in, even through the dew of, dew of Hermon. Unity, it says in Psalms 133, God says, I will command, I will command the blessing. I just finished a study, some work I'm doing. On successful businesses, along with successful churches, I did those, but I did also successful businesses in America. I chose the top eight or ten companies, went into a study of their culture, their policies, their climate, their atmospheres, their convictions, what they do with their people, why they have a profit. I went into a whole study of these companies because I'm doing something with it. But in the study of these companies, this is what's interesting. The companies that look out for their employees are more successful than those who look out for the market. True. Right down the line. 
the companies that have a heart for the people that work for them to make better pay, give them a piece of the pie, make sure they're trained properly, make sure everything's flowing well in their life, make sure their kids are taken care of, make sure they have some college money when it comes time, make sure if something happens, they're right there to help. The people that take care of their workers prosper. Prosper. Why? They learned a divine principle in the midst of the secular. You can do more when you serve than when you take. And you can do more when you do it together than when you do it apart. So they're always bringing people together. You know what the great companies do? The great companies allow the people on the bottom rung to have influence to the people on the top. With ideas, with creativity. And when they do, they are rewarded accordingly. Why? Because they see it as every joint supplies. The companies that work top down are also losing their money and profits and are on their way out of the Fortune 500 pack. Because they haven't been able to adapt their principles. If you can learn what I'm saying, you can not only be successful in your home, but in the marketplace, in your business, with any business you're working with. Who does the boss want to promote? The person that knows how to get people to work together. The person who knows how to build the whole company. The person they can trust that will have that spirit of unity that will Bring all the resources together. They're going to promote that person. They're going to pay that person. They're going to make sure you stay in their company. But if you're a terror downer, I don't care how many degrees you have. And boy, this is true in the business world. I don't care how talented, skilled, and experienced you are. If nobody wants to work with you, you're gone. You don't get a raise. You get a boot. You're gone. The boss says, I can't get anybody to work with them. But they're so smart, I don't care. But they're so, they're so, they're so divisive is what they are. Or they're so, I can't work. Well, the company can't prosper with you in your place. We've got to move you out. Turn to neighbor and say, I'm going to learn how to work together. Come on. Number four, unity is the power to win the battles we face. What you can't do by yourself, you can do if somebody would agree with you. Stand with you. Fight with you. Number five, unity is the power to increase the manifested presence of God in our lives, in our churches, in our families, in our ministries. Unity is worth fighting for. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Unity is worth guarding. Harmony makes life so much better. You know, sometimes when I have problems not keeping unity, half the time at least, the problem is me, not them. I'd like to say, well, if they would change, and if they, and if they, and if they, the Holy Spirit says, hey, Frank, how about you? No, no, come on, not me. I'm the best husband that ever lived. I'm the best pastor there could possibly be. 
Everyone would want to work with me. Sometimes it's not they. Me. I have to change. I have to flow. I have to learn. Better to gather than to push out. It's better to humble yourself than to have your own way. It's better to serve than to be dominating. It's better to speak well even when you've got the goods to just rip them. It's better to let it go and just say nothing than to fill your spirit with that kind of junk. Because if it's in your mouth, it's got to come through your spirit. And when it does, something gets polluted. Don't let it happen. 